I don't mean to brag, but I had a puzzle, and I got it together, the whole puzzle, in 30 minutes. Now you go, well, what's the big deal? Well, I put the whole puzzle together in 30 minutes, and the puzzle said that I did it really fast, because on the box it said two to four years. So I'm feeling really good about myself. Thank you, Braxton, for the joke. Puzzles. They're hard. Today we're going to talk about what has been a puzzle for many people, the Bible. I'm going to give you some tools for the New Testament, how to put the New Testament together. A couple weeks ago we talked about putting the Old Testament together, and we had a lot of fun doing that, but we're going to talk about the New Testament today. Today, uh, I'm going to give you, first of all, the framework. Have you ever put a puzzle together? You've got to have the outside pieces. I don't know about you, but that's where I start. I try to find all the outside, all the edges to put those pieces together because it's a lot easier once the edges are, are in place, then you can start filling in. And by the way, the puzzle of the Bible is not a two to four year puzzle. It will be a puzzle that will enthrall you for the rest of your life. You'll be putting in the pieces until God calls you to glory. Also, there'll always be one more piece. Uh, my wife loves puzzles, and she'll occasionally go and buy them. We have a problem in our home. A little dog named Biscuit. Because if any puzzle piece falls on the floor, he thinks it's his to eat. And Donna won't always catch that they fall on the floor. So he will take, take it, run and hide in a corner and begin chewing on it. And Donna will have all the pieces in and there'll be one glaring hole. And then she'll look over and then there's Biscuit going, you know, just destroying that piece. Here's the beauty. Don't worry if you don't get all the pieces of the Bible in place in your lifetime. But you're going to have a lot of them. It's okay. Because the Bible is so big and so beautiful that you're going to keep discovering more beauty the more you, you dive in. And you'll go, oh, there's more pieces. There's more pieces. There's more pieces. So let's dive in on, on this. Let's look at the puzzle called the Bible. I have a handout for you. And I'd like you to pull that out. Now we talked about the Old and New Testament. We, we talked about how those names are helpful names. They're, they're good names, but they're not inspired names uh, God didn't give us the Old and New Testament as names of the Bible, uh, and, but man did. 
You know, another way you could think of it is the Hebrew text and the Greek text. You could call it uh, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You could call it a, a lot of different things. And some people go, we don't need that old book. We don't need that Old Testament because that's just for the Jewish people. But I want you to understand, folks, that they are so intimately connected. I want you to understand how they connect together. Now, the difference, here's the one difference that I want you to see. The Old Testament says this. Jesus is coming. 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 The New Testament says this. Jesus is here, Jesus came, and Jesus is coming again. That's the difference. But they are so connected. In the New Testament, if you say, I don't need the Old Testament, I I can just read my New Testament and that's all I need, you're going to miss out on on so much and there's going to be puzzle pieces you're not going to understand and see how they fit together because there's already 348 Old Testament quotes. 348 Old Testament quotes in the New Testament. That's a lot of quotes. There are 2,300 allusions. In other words, things that are alluded to in the Old Testament. In other words, they, they assume you understand this happened in the Old Testament. So if you don't know your Old Testament, you're not going to understand your New Testament. Not only that, there's 250 people mentioned from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Also, there are numerous events. Just a ton of events. There's an old phrase I want you to to capture. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. In other words, the old is a divine commentary on the New Testament. You will not understand the New Testament correctly without the old. In fact, the Old Testament is what Jesus used. Remember the story of the road to Emmaus? Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. There's a couple guys walking on the road. And they are just blown away by the whole crucifixion. They've been blown away by the resurrection. They don't know what to make of it. And this guy comes up and he starts talking to them. He starts saying, hey, hey, what are you guys all talking about here? And they say, well, well haven't you heard? Have you lived in a rock? He goes, well, I, I've kind of been in a cave for a couple days. Yeah. And he goes, this has happened to Jesus. Well, let me tell you what it means. And he goes back through Moses, he goes back through the prophets, he goes back through the Old Testament, and he explains everything from the Old Testament. And and they're going, wow. This is so great. He goes, now, i I, I got to go, boys. And they go, no, no, stay for dinner. Stay for dinner. We want to hear more. 
It is so interconnected. In fact, it's summed up, the whole message of the Bible is summed up in John 3.16. It's the story of Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it's the story of Jesus. That's what it's all about. The Old Testament, the New Testament, written with a Middle Eastern mindset, it is a picture book of Jesus. And you've got to understand that. Now understand this. Let's look at an overview. How do I remember how many books of the Bible are in the New Testament? Well, New has three letters. Testament has nine. Three times nine makes 27. There's 27 books in the New Testament. Or you can just memorize that there's 27. You, either way, what's ever easiest for you. But there's a device there. And they break down into three basic categories. You have the historical. That's the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. You have the letters. They're called epistles. Epistles are not the wives of the apostles. That's about as good as the jokes get, folks. <laughs> but the, the epistles, they're the letters. They're personal. They're personal letters. And then we have the prophetical or the prophecy. It's the book of Revelation. So three basic things. Well, let's start with the historical. The Gospels means good news. Good news about what? Good news about Jesus Christ. First thing you need to understand is they are not biographies. Biographies are written from a biogra biographical point of view. In other words, I'm going to take you from birth to death and fill in all the gaps. We have lots of gaps with Jesus. You know, we, we have his birth, and then all of a sudden he's 12 years old, and then all of a sudden he's starting his ministry. I mean, there's years we don't know because that's not the purpose of the Gospels. The Gospels are written with a purpose in mind. They are written also as pictures. And you need to understand that. I'm going to show you the picture for each one. Matthew, Matthew's picture... What Matthew is trying to get across, every time you open the book of Matthew, I want you to think of king. Jesus is king. First of all, notice his genealogies. He talks about David. David, the greatest king. He talks about Abraham, the father of the Jews. He's qualifying Jesus to have the right to be the king. Then he talks about the wise men. What do the wise men do? They come into Jerusalem and what do they say? Where is he who is the king? And then his first temptation with Satan, he's taken out. You know, they have the three temptations, you know, but what's the last temptation? Do you remember? Yeah, if you worship me, I will give you all this to rule. King. King. 
We have that theme. And understand this book is not in chronological order, but thematic. It starts out with the king is born. Then the king is tried by his enemy. Then the king decrees. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Remember how sermons, the rabbis would teach in sermons? The very first sentence is what the sermon is all about. And what does it say? Blessed are the poor spirit, for they shall, what? The kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom. The whole Sermon on the Mount is the king making decrees about his kingdom. And how does it end? It ends with them going, we're so surprised. He doesn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. He teaches like he has authority. He's amazing. He has power. And then he demonstrates his authority through the next few chapters by doing miracles. He overcomes the demonic. He overcomes nature. He overcomes illness. He overcomes the religious leaders. And then, he begins his teaching. He teaches in the parables of the king. And then it ends with his, the sacrifice of a king. And the king dies and is resurrected. And then as the king is ready to leave, what does he say? I have all authority. Matthew's all about the king. Look at Mark. Mark Jesus, who came to serve. The King who came to serve. By the way, on Matthew, I have one thing to ask you. Have you bowed before the King? Have you ever bowed your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Mark, the King who came to serve. You could tie it up very simply in this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. No genealogy because a servant doesn't need one. The key word is immediately, this is a servant on the move. This is a servant who can't stop serving. Something unique about the book, some say it has two endings. Well, we won't spend much time on that, but it's very unique. But if, he, if our king is a servant, the question I have for you, could it be Mark is also asking, are you like your king? Are you a servant too? Or did you come to be served? Look at the third one. Luke, the only book to be written by a non-Jewish person. Luke's favorite term is son of man. Luke presents Jesus as fully man. He's a real man. We see things like this genealogy goes all the way back to Adam to show that he was the son of Adam. He thinks that's important. His Christmas narrative shows more information about the birth of Christ than any of the others. He has so many human attributes. Jesus is tired. Jesus is hungry. He is thirsty. 
he weeps. It also has more physical healings than any of the other books. Not only that, Luke, if we go to the next slide. Okay, I guess that's all I had. Oh yeah, Luke, it ends with Jesus suffering and rising on the third day. John, Jesus as God. It's the last gospel written. It's God who became man, not the man who became a God. Notice that progression. It's God who stepped down to become man. There's no genealogy. We begin with John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. We have this incredible thing. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, we find out the reason for writing the book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John is written for a purpose. All the miracles in the book of John are put around his seven I am statements. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am. I am. I am. And all his miracles are written around them. Why? To show that he is God. Did the people understand that? Well, this I am that he would say they understood because in Exodus 3, that is the name of God. When he says, I am, he's saying, I am God. You say, well, did they really understand that, Pastor? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 31, we read this. In verse 30, it goes, 31, and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father for which, you are, for which of them are you going to stone me? Jesus answered him, it was not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. I have a question for you today. Have you acknowledged Jesus as your God? Is he God? Or is he just a man to you? Is he just a good teacher? The next book of history is the book of Acts. Acts is Jesus working through his people. Acts is a book for history. It is a narrative. It's saying this is what's going on. It's not primarily a book of doctrine. It's not primarily a book of theology, though there's doctrine and theology in it. It contains these things, but we don't look for, that, for the normative in that book because things were changing so fast. For example, we look at tongues. Tongues appear three times in the book of Acts. Every time it appears, it is to introduce a new, new group of people. 
Every time it appears, it's to uh, reaffirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time it appears, it is to demonstrate that these people are included in the body of Christ. Every time it appears, according to context, it's a language. That's, that's, that's what is what we see. It's the other books that we get in the letters we find more teaching on tongues, not in Acts. Acts, that's all we, all we find. When it comes to miracles, miracles are really recorded in three places. Now, the miraculous was the normative during the time of Acts, but by the end of Acts, we find that the miraculous starts disappearing in comparison to the letters. But the miraculous was the norm, not the exception. Today, even with our charismatic influence and even with all the other things, we still would have to say, in comparison to Acts, the miraculous is the exception, not the norm. It, it, it was a different thing. So when we look for the norm of the church, we go to the letters, not the book of Acts. Because the purpose of Acts was to show us what God was doing in his people. Also, Acts has no ending. Did you know that? Maybe that's why Mark has two. I don't know. Acts has, if it is an ending, it's the worst ending possible. And Paul sat in his house telling people about God. That's basically how the ending goes. I think the reason why it doesn't end is because God is still working through his people. He's still working through you. He's still working through me. In the final chapter, God will write when he's ready. But not... And, but not in the scriptures for us. Letters. There's 21 epistles in total. 13 are written by Paul. Some say 14. Romans through Philemon. Everybody else, there's eight. Paul's letters are not in chronological order. Did you know that? They're written in length. Long ones to short ones. Paul's letters, nine are written to the churches. Each church had two difficulties to overcome. Theology and relationships with people. In 2,000 years, we haven't changed much, have we? <laughs> we either struggle in our theology or we struggle to get along. Don't we? The average church when it has troubles, it has troubles because it's people having problems with people. That's just the way it is. Every church, Paul writes, he's pleading with them to get on. And it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. One of his letters, he writes to these ladies who served right alongside of him. These two ladies who were godly women. He says, hey, 
could you talk to them and tell them to get along? They're sisters in Christ. Get along. Stop fighting. In fact, one church, the Church of Corinth, was saying, I don't like what you're doing on Sunday morning, so we're going to court on Monday morning. I mean, that's how bad it was. Getting along and making sure your theology is right. That's what those letters are about. Four letters were to people. Two of the people, or two of, two of those of the three people, two of them were people he had mentored. People he poured out his life into. Timothy and Titus. We call them the pastoral letters. And the last one is to Philemon, a dear friend. And he's begging him to take care of another friend. I mean, you want to see the heart of Paul? Read Philemon. And then we come to a strange book called the book of Hebrews. That's part of the, 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 the other letters, but it's right there because most of the church throughout the ages have said, it's Paul's book, he just forgot to sign it. So it's right there. We don't know for sure because Paul didn't sign it, but we think it's his. And so that's where Hebrews goes. Then the rest of the letters are the other letters. You know, you got you know, first, second Peter, first, second, third John, Jude, James. By the way, there's a typo way, way, way back when I did the letters, I did it to 3 John in your handout. It really should have said Jude, and I didn't catch that. But, so, I, I think we got it. We could go to the next slide on the letter. Oh, nope, I guess I didn't put, the left, put that slide in there. Okay. But that's what we find. The prophetic revelation. The gospel Jesus is here. Acts in the letters. Jesus came. Revelation. Jesus is coming back. And you know what Revelation teaches? I'll sum it up for you. Jesus wins. You want to know what it teaches? Jesus wins. And I want to be on his team. It also teaches this. The reading of this book promises a blessing by God. And it's a difficult book to read, but there's a key. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. Saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So, verse 9, I, John, your brother, has been told to, by, he's been told to write what he sees. John is living in the first century. 
So he's going to write from the position of a first century person. Just understand that as you read it. He's doing his best to describe the miraculous works of God with first century eyes. Just understand that. Just understand that. Also, turn with me to chapter 22. I want to show you something. Verse 18. John leaves no doubt that this, that this is the completion of Scripture and of biblical revelation. With John's death, also the apostolic age ends. I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. Revelation is the last book written. Finished. Biblical writings are done. Don't add. We don't need the book of 1st Greg. He says, there's a problem if you want the book of 1st Greg. If someone comes to you today and says, God has inspired me to write a new book of the Bible, you say, thank you, but no. It's done. The office of the apostle Okay. Now, this is Gregism. I think it's I think it is on track. It's an observation. It is not anything more. At the end of the Old Testament, God is silent with biblical revelation until the angel speaks and says Jesus is coming. Notice how he tells us things are in the New Testament. He says, until we hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Now I'm not saying that the scriptures don't speak to us. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us. Don't, 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 don't go too far that, okay? But I'm saying we're looking forward to the voice of the archangel. We're looking forward to the voice of the tr uh, to the sound of the trumpet. How were these books picked? Just quickly. Well, number one, they had to have apostolic origin. In other words, they either were written by an apostle or by someone close to them. They had to be universally accepted. All major Christian communities had to say, yep, there are books. 
They had to be used in the church. They and the Old Testament were used together for worship. And the message in all the books were consistent on matters of doctrine and writing. So where does that leave us? That's how the New Testament fits together. There was a little kid, he was bothering his dad. His dad was trying to do some work. And he says, Dad, play with me, 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 play with me. And finally his dad grabbed a newspaper and he just cut it up into pieces and he threw it on the ground he says, okay, you've got a puzzle, now put it together. Three minutes later, the kid comes back, done. And his dad's like, how in the world did you do that so quickly? It was a newspaper. It was all writing. He says, I didn't do that side. I turned it over, and on the other side, there was a picture of a man. So I just put the man together. When you go into the Word, understand it's a picture of the man, Christ Jesus. Our King the servant who we imitate, fully man, fully God, who won and who is coming again. Amen.